I am thankful and optimistic. If you're a child of God, you have no other attitude, thankful and optimistic. Amen? We're going to talk about that today. I am wrapping up our revealing series. We, we started out we started out talking about how Jesus didn't just raise from the dead and ascend. He stuck around for 40 days and made sure everybody knew he was alive. Don't you like that? Jesus strutted around the earth saying, it ain't true, I'm alive. So we find out that he reveals himself to Mary Magdalene the day, that morning, she's confused. She even, she even thinks he's the gardener. She says, where have you put his body? Just tell me. And he reveals himself in her confusion. He reveals himself to the disciples that evening, locked in a room uh, for fear of the Jews. And in their fear, he revealed himself. He revealed himself the next week to Thomas. Thomas was from Missouri. The show me state. Thomas is like us. Thomas was like, hey, I want to believe, but I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. I'm going to have to touch it. And I'm like that often. I want, I, want to, I want to know it's real. And so Jesus reveals himself to Thomas. And we learn that he just said, hey, man, touch me. It's fine. You don't have to doubt. And then he reveals himself to Peter. Peter uh, denied him three times. And he specifically reveals himself to Peter and calls him back tells him he's still on the team. So today we're going to talk about how he revealed himself the last time, the last hoorah. And, uh, and we're going to look into that and see how, it, see how it plays out. But I do want to, I would do want to let you know that uh, next week we're starting a new sermon series. How many of you know next week is a special Sunday? Did anybody know that? Next week is a, a Pentecost Sunday. All of you are like, oh, it is special, isn't it? Next week's Pentecost Sunday, and we're going to start a new sermon series called Suddenly. And this one will sort of lead, it'll be foreshadowing for the next sermon series. So I'm excited about it. Listen, I want to give you a little preface for next Sunday. I believe in counseling. I think if you're crazy, even if you're not crazy, I've been to counseling because I was crazy and because I wasn't crazy been to counseling because I was going crazy. And then I went to counseling, so I didn't go crazy. Anybody ever been there? Want to admit it? <laughs> and so I, when I say this, I want, I want you to understand that I like to know how the brain works and I like to know all that stuff. I like, I think it's helpful. I think, I think all that stuff is part of us being whole and other people speaking to our lives. But there are moments in our lives where it suddenly has to happen. where there's just no other fix for it, but God's power. Amen. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to start off next Sunday, uh, Pentecost Sunday and, uh, and talk about suddenly, but I want to lead up to it with today. Jesus last revealing. It was so fitting that the, that the worship team sung that at the end. We don't just read about what Jesus did just because he did it before. We believe he can do it again. Amen. In the future. And so we're going to read here in acts. Acts chapter one. So why don't you stand to your feet? We'll start in Acts chapter one. For all of you that grew up in the eighties, I am wearing my Magnum PI gear today. I thought about shaving just a mustache, but I held back. 
It's one of my favorite shows still today. Acts chapter one. My wife said it when I, when I came out, she said, you're looking like Magna P.I. today. I said, well, that's a compliment, baby. Tom Selleck, tall, dark, and handsome. Acts chapter one, we'll start in verse one. In the first book, Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering with many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you that our future is secure. We thank you, God, that there doesn't have to be anxiety attached to the future. There doesn't have to be worry attached to it because you have made your promise to us. We are victors. By you going to the cross and dying for us, we are made victorious. We don't have to fight like other people fight because your spirit has already won the battle for us. We pray today, Lord, that we'd be convinced of how victorious we actually are. We thank you for a change of what we think today, Lord, by your power. Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. We know the disciples stayed in Jerusalem through the week uh, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the day of, Pentecost, or the day of Passover, Jesus crucified, and then that marked the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread for the Jews. And we know the disciples stayed there because a week later, they're still in the locked room and Jesus reveals himself to him. So while they're not out celebrating the feast, they are still in Jerusalem. Bible scholars think they went, then went back to Galilee because, because, uh, the gospels record that Jesus then revealed himself in Galilee to them. Matter of fact, uh, one gospel writer records that he had revealed himself to 500 people at the same time. But what's coming up is the Feast of Pentecost. So you can imagine going back and forth. And so now what happens is we believe they're back in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost and Jesus leads them up uh, to the mountain for the last orders, for the last conversation for the last revealing. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 records what we call the great commission. He says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he, basically, he says, I'll be with you always. The other gospel writers record 
the same phrases. And Luke writes the book of Acts and he writes that Jesus, right before he ascended, said, you're going to receive power to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's the same conversation. He says, you're going to receive power. So we have a gospel writers saying, listen, here's what your future is going to look like. Now, I have a little theory that most, most of what we're anxious about is the future. I'm not anxious about what hap- what's happening to me now. I already know what's happening to me now. I already know the pain I'm in right now. That's not surprising. Amen? I woke up with a pain in my neck this morning. I'm not anxious about that. I'm irritated about it. We get anxious about the future because we don't know what pain will come or what difficulty will come. We don't know how it will play out. We don't know, we don't know anything about it. And so... So I'm so thankful that Jesus' last appearing to the disciples was to clarify their future. It was to clarify the future. He said, listen, I'll show up. I'll show up in your your confusion. I'll show up in your fear. I'll I'll show up in your unbelief. I'll show up in your your sin and your failure. But, he, but listen, the last time I show myself to you, I want to make sure I'm crystal clear about your future. And I don't know about you, but that's the most anxious conversation anybody gets in. What's it going to be like? What's it, especially now. Are we going to wear a mask, not wear a mask? Can I touch it? Can I not touch you? Are you safe? Are you not safe? Should we spray everything down? Should we not spray everything down? Should you hose your kids down with bleach before they come in the bed? I don't know. Don't do that. Why don't... By the way, why do we have a, have to warning label on everything now? Do not drink gasoline. It doesn't help with the virus. I already know that. But everything now is so unsure. When will we go back to work? When will we not? When, 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 what's going to happen? How's it going to play out? Uh, will I get sick? Will I not get sick? Will my neighbor get sick? Will, what's, will, will I have a job in six months? Will the economy come back? What? We don't know. That, the honest truth is you don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I am, I am going to make this statement. Listen, you know I don't get political on Sunday mornings, but I do want to say this. I don't care what you think politically. I was super thankful to find out that churches were essential last week. Weren't you? Uh, awesome. As a pastor, I thought if we can keep Lowe's and a liquor store open, we should be able to open up a church. And to hear the leader of the free world say, we need more prayer, not less. I don't care who was standing up there saying it. It needed to be said. Amen? He is our answer and our hope. He is our future. So most of our anxieties come from the future, don't they? Not what's happening currently, but most of them come from what could happen, what might happen. So I wanted to, I wanted to show you that the disciples were not unlike us and we're not unlike them. They had the same anxieties as we have. They had the same questions. If, if, if you were with Jesus like physically, you'd be asking him the same questions they, they were. Watch, we'll just go down through a, a couple of them. Matthew chapter 19, verse 23 through 27. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Now I read that really quick. Verse 27, tune in. Verse 27, go. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What's our future look like? Jesus says, hey, listen, it's going to be difficult for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven because they're so tied up in their wealth. They're so, all this, all this is going on. By the way, you are the 1% of the world. I don't care whether you think you are or not. You're the 1% of the world. He says it's going to be difficult for rich people. And the disciples are like, whoa. Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, with, with man, this is all impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. And then Peter says, tell me what our future looks like. We've given up everything for you. What's in it for now? What's going to happen with us? Calm our fears that, that we didn't just give up everything for nothing. Tell us what the future looks like. Again, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 21. This is the fun part. This is James and John's mother. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your kingdom. The mother of James and John goes to Jesus. And I've told you a hundred times, don't ever let your mother ask for promotion for you. I know she's concerned, but I'm 44 years old. My mom ain't calling up going, hey, you know, I think Chris has done a good job. She goes to Jesus and she says, hey, when you come into your kingdom, let one of my sons sit on your left and one of my sons sit on your right. Why did she say that? She was worried about the future. If you can solidify a space for my kids, I'll rest easy tonight. I know you're coming into your kingdom and I want you to tell me right now that my kids are going to be taken care of. Any good mom wants that for their kids, don't you? Just don't do it when they're 40. That's weird. Or even when they're 20. I think we started with our kids when they were 10. I was like, if you want something, you better go to the teacher and ask. I ain't calling. What's the future going to look like for my kids? Hey, Jesus, could you solidify, could you give me a guarantee that when the future comes, my kids are going to be taken care of? They're going to have position. I got a little bit of anxiety about if they're going to be okay following you. So could you, could you go ahead and guarantee me that they're going to, going to have a spot? Mark chapter 13. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when all these things will be and will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. They're talking about that, what, what we call the Olivet Discourse. And, and Jesus did a large, giant section of prophecy about all these things that were coming. And what did Peter, James, John and Andrew say? Oh, man, you got to tell us when. Don't you leave us hanging. Don't you tell us all this crazy stuff's going to happen and then not tell us what day it's going to happen on. What were they concerned about? Their future. Tell us when it's going to happen. And Jesus went, oh man, forget it. He didn't tell him. He said, just look, just keep a lookout. Keep a lookout. He didn't give him specifics. John chapter 21, verses 20 and 21, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is this is him revealing himself like last week when we talked. This was towards the end of that revelation where he talked to Peter. 
So Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And the one who asked, had asked leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, what about this man? He's saying, what's going to happen to him in the future? What's going to happen to him? I need to know what's going to happen to him. Can you give me an idea about what the future looks like? The disciples were constantly asking Jesus how things would turn out. You know, we continue to do the same. Lord, what's it going to look like? Can you give me some insider tips on how it's going to turn out? You know, I, I read about this stuff. It's called, it, it's, it's not actually a disorder. It, it goes along with anxiety disorder. It's called anticipatory anxiety. Anticipatory anxiety. Look at, look at your neighbor and say that real quick. Anticipatory anxiety. You just sounded really smart. Anticipatory anxiety. So here's what anticipatory anxiety does. It anticipates worst case scenarios and then worries about them. Really quick, raise your hand if that's you. See if, how many I could catch off guard. It anticipates worst case scenarios and then worries about them. Oh, we're all going to die. Yes, you are. Should we worry about it? No. Because we're all going to die. Welcome to church where we give out hope. <laughs> look, look, the issue is you could attach anything in your future to a negative out outcome. Anything. Well, I'm 44 years old. I figured out I needed reading glasses. <gasps> oh, what's going to happen next? Oh, I'm, I must be losing my eyesight. Oh, what? I just take it down the road. I could, I'm going to go blind. No dummy, put on reading glasses. You're fine. That's what I tell myself. But anticipatory anxiety says what is out in the future, I can't control it. Therefore it's going to be bad and I can't do anything about it. So I have to have, be anxious about it today because obviously if I'm not anxious about it today, I'm not doing anything productive. But Jesus said, can you even add a day to your life by worrying? And a resounding what? No. no. So he said, what's happening in the future, you can't really affect by, by being anxious about it. You notice I didn't say you can't affect it by doing something. I said you can't affect it by being anxious. They're way two different things. So the disciples are constantly asking Jesus, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? It didn't help that Jesus already knew what was going to happen. And they knew he knew what was going to happen because he could read people's minds and they would sit in the room with him and he'd know what they were thinking. And I don't know about you, but that would freak me out right away. So everybody was going, Jesus, what's going to happen? How's it going to work out? How's is my son, your son, how's, how's this going to happen? And they get to his last, his last revealing right before he ascends. And they go, Hey man, tell us what's going to happen. Tell us what's going to happen again. Tell us how this is going to turn out. When are you going to come into your kingdom? Now these, these were national, these were good nationalistic Jews. They were expecting Jesus had promised them that he was going to pour out his spirit on them. And they were associating the spirit of God coming in and establishing an earthly kingdom. 
And so any good nationalistic Jew would have asked the then next logical question, when is this great event going to take place? Jesus, when are you going to establish your kingdom? And he turned to them and went, now, I'm going to take a little bit of liberty here like an Italian mobster. And he went, forget about it. <laughs> he said, don't worry about that. What? Listen, I, I asked you when you're going to establish your kingdom. Don't worry about that. That's not what you need to worry about. You, you actually don't need to worry about that. You don't need to worry about when these events are going to happen or how they're going to happen. That's not your concern. What I need you to be concerned about are these couple things. Now, could I, could I say, make a few statements that might sit uneasy with you? Jesus is saying you don't need to worry about whether you're going to be in control in the future. You don't need to worry about whether you're going to have a job in the future. You don't, know, you don't need to worry about whether you're going to be in charge in the future. You don't need to worry about what you're going to eat in the future, what you're going to wear in the future. Which I, I wish TJ Maxx would open up so I'd get another shirt. But anyway, he says you don't need to worry about any of that stuff. He tells us back in the Gospels you don't need to worry about that stuff. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. He says, so he's telling them again, don't worry about that stuff. I'm getting ready to tell you what you need to think about. I'm getting ready to tell you what you need to think about. So listen, anxiety is never just, you can't just stop anxiety. You have to replace it with something. Watch how this works. Follow, follow the logic here. If you're anxious, you're thinking about something that's making you anxious. And then when you think about not thinking about it, you're still thinking about it. You say, don't be anxious. Well, I'm thinking about not being anxious, but, I'm, but while I'm thinking about not being anxious, I'm thinking about what I'm anxious about, so I'm still thinking about it. Even though I'm thinking about not thinking about it, I'm still thinking about it. So God never tells you to just stop thinking about it. He says, don't be anxious, but take what's making you anxious and offer it up to him. He, Paul writes to the Philippians and says, by prayer and supplication, give it to God, and then when you stop when you take, go from being anxious, we don't just stop thinking about it. He replaces it with something else, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Now, what's that look like? The thing is still sitting out there that I was anxious about. It did not change. The only thing that changes, I replace anxiousness with the peace of God. Because what I did was offered up the anxiousness to him with prayer and petition, and he replaced it. You didn't just stop thinking about it. It was replacement. Now I'm not thinking about being anxious. I'm thinking about the peace of God that I got. So how's that happen? With this little promise in Matthew chapter 28. Now we're talking about what we call the great commission, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and some translations say, lo, I will be with you always. I don't know what the lo means. Watch this. He promises all through the New Testament to never leave us. Now watch. We have settled in on that fact in almost every one of these revealings. And it's no different now. 
He's assuring them that their future is secure, not because they're so great, but because he is with them. He's with them. And I will be with you. You will go and make disciples, baptize, teaching them, baptize, all that stuff. Why? Because I am with you. So I don't have to be anxious about the future because he is already with me. I told the first service, I remember when we were back in the day, old school, we used to sing, come Holy Spirit, I need thee. Anybody remember that song? Come, I Yeah, there you go. Okay. Now, I started thinking about that song. It's a beautiful song. I used to sit at the piano by myself and play it all by myself. Come, Holy Spirit. It's just not scripturally accurate because he said he was already there. It's like having somebody over for dinner and letting them eat half the meal and then welcoming them to the table. And they look up and say, dude, I've been here. Yeah, I just realized it. Just wanted to welcome you. I just want to invite you over. I'm here. I'm actually here eating. Yeah, but I don't know if I officially invited you here. We would go to prayer meetings back in the day and, pray and invite the Holy Spirit for two hours and then shake hands and leave. He promised, he says he indwells us. So if you show up, he shows up with you. So what does he tell the disciples right at the end? Hey, listen, don't worry, I'll be there. So guess what? Wherever I show up in the future, somebody else has already been there and is there and will still be there. Wherever, whatever happens to me, I am not alone. Whatever I walk through, I am not alone. Anybody remember in the 80s? Um, anybody remember Home Interior? Everything was like the tarnished brass. I remembered that's the first time I saw the uh, Footprints in the Sand poem. It was in a home interior frame. And so when I think of the Footprints on the Sand poem, I always think of home interior. That might be worth something now. Some of you got it from back in like 1984. I remember in our house, we had one and it had the, the, the fake tarnish brass thing. And you might want to put that on eBay. You know what, as corny as that is, it's absolutely true. Here's what I found out in my life. Every difficulty I have ever walked through, I don't care if it was a year, four years, five years, six years, when I got to the end of it, I realized through the whole thing, I wasn't alone. It doesn't matter if it crushed me. When I woke up on the other side of it, I looked back and went, mm, I wasn't alone. So the little story of there was only one footprint in the sand and what I realized was when I couldn't walk any further, he picked me up. That is gospel wrapped up in a home interior frame. That's the gospel. I always go back to Job. Job says, man, this is the most difficult thing I've ever walked through and I'm looking all over the place for you and it doesn't seem like I sense your presence. But then he snaps to attention and says, but you know the path that I take. 
He's already on the path. He's already where you're going. He's already guaranteed he would be there and be there with you through the whole stinking thing. He said he would never leave you or forsake you. Now, here's what I know that is awesome about God, that he's the same yesterday, today, and as far as you can look. So, listen, I've been married 24 24 years this August. Yeah, because next year is our 25th, and you're going to do something really special for me. I know it. (laughs) Wait a second. That might be the other way around. Here's what I know. I'm not the same husband I was back then, for good or bad. Come on. I'm not the same person I was 24 years ago, not even close. Some of it's good and some of it ain't. I'm more irritable today than I have ever. Mm. The older I get, the more I want it my way. Here's what I'm confident of. The God you're going to meet in the future is the same God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got in the fire with. It's the same God that Moses went, I don't know how to lead these people. It's the same God that sent Jesus to earth. When you get 10 years from now, it's the same God. And he's not finicky and he didn't get weirded out by all the stuff that's happened and change his mind. It's the same God. So when he says, I'm with you, it's the same God that was with your grandparents. It's the same God that was with John Wesley. It's the same God. So the disciples say, hey, Jesus, what's going to happen? He says, don't worry about what's going to happen. I'm with you. Don't worry about it. I'll be with you right to the very end. And you don't have anything to worry about. I'll be with you. Now, now listen. I know that's encouraging that he's with us. But he says something else that you need, you, you need to make sure you pay attention to. Because he didn't just say he was with us. He said he would empower us. Now, I was thinking about this. I don't like holding hands with powerless people. That seems like setting myself up for failure. I don't like being close to powerless people. Think about it. If we're all in trouble and nobody has anything figured out, we should just scatter because moving targets are harder to hit. But if we've been empowered, then there's a multiplication effort that happens when we get together. That's Bible. One can put this many, two is not double, it's exponential. So what he tells us is I will empower you and you stay together. So I I was thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and I was thinking the confidence they had was not that they wouldn't die But the confidence was that God had the power no matter what. They told, anybody remember that story? It says the king was super irritated with them. They didn't obey. And he said, fire up that furnace hotter than it's ever been. And so they fired up the furnace seven times, which is probably symbolic of it just being crazy hot. Said it was so hot, the guys that were trying to feed it died. That tells me the fire was out of control. Never been that hot before. 
It was, it, they, they, they pushed so much fuel into it that, it that it's now burning out of control. Nobody can get close enough to it. And he said, listen, do what I tell you to do or I'm throwing you in there. And they went, our God has the power to deliver us. We are not powerless because he has the power. So we will walk in there together and whether we live or die, he has the power. They were not anxious a bit about their future. They walk into the fiery furnace and what does the king say? I think we put three guys in there. Somehow a fourth guy got in there and he ain't normal. Come on, old school church would have been going, whoa, hallelujah. I was supposed to be in Africa today where they would have been going, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Coronavirus got you scared. Listen, it wasn't in their own strength that they walked in that furnace. It was because God was with them and he had empowered them. So what does he tell the disciples, his last appearing to them? I'm with you, this is what I want you to do, and now I'm gonna empower you. I told you I was gonna foreshadow up in the next week. Our future includes his constant presence, but it also includes his overcoming power. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So he says, here's what I want you to do, and here's all the power you need to do it. All the power you need to do it is at your disposal. I'm not gonna withhold it. Matter of fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna indwell you with this power. I'm gonna make it accessible anytime you need it. I'm gonna infuse this power into you through the Holy Spirit and you all of a sudden are gonna be able to overcome in situations that you've never overcome before. Remember, he's just not taking anxiety, he's replacing it with power. So all of a sudden, it's not because I'm tough, it's because he empowered me. All of a sudden, it's not because I know everything that's gonna happen in the future, it's because he's with me and he's empowered me. Amen? Watch this. Mark chapter six. I love this. And he said to them, go into all the world. This is Mark's version of the same thing. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, verse 17 is really important because, because Luke records in Acts, he just says, I'm going to empower you. Mark says, here's what it's going to look like. So remember, you get the whole picture. Luke records in Acts, I'm going to empower you. Mark says, I'm going to show you what it's going to look like. Watch what he says, verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Some of you are like, oh, wow. Cast out demons. We're not joking. We're not joking. He said, cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. Go to the next one pick up serpents with their hands. What happens to Paul on the island? He sticks his hand into a fire to feed the fire and a, and a, and a, and a serpent latches, a poisonous snake latches onto it. And what's he do? 
get off me. And then they think he's some kind of Superman. Superman. They will pick up servants with their hands. Now that does not mean we're having snakes on Pentecost Sunday. Don't you go out and tell your friends, hey, listen, that church thinks they're in power. They're bringing snakes next week. They pick up servants with a hand. If they drink any deadly poison, I will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Luke records in Acts, here's the power. I'm promising you, Mark says, it's going to look crazy. I'm empowering you to lay hands on people and see them heal. I'm empowering you to overcome. I'm empowering you to not be defeated. I'm empowering you. Whatever comes up against you, I'm empowering you because I'm with you. And so here's what I know. I know what I don't know. And what I don't know is I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea what the next six months look like. I have no idea what the next two weeks look like. I don't know if you're going to be wearing masks on Monday. I have no idea. All I know is he said he gave me enough of his presence and enough of his power to overcome in any circumstance that will run into us. Amen? All I know is that when they asked him, Lord, what's going to happen? He said, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to be with you and I'm going to empower you. So the word has not changed to us 2,000 years later. Lord, what's going to happen? I don't, I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you, go into all the world and make disciples and I'll be with you and empower you. It's the same message that hadn't changed. It hasn't changed. He's saying, listen, Go do what I've called you to do. Paul says, I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. When we wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I want to fulfill your calling in my life today. He says, I'm glad to hear it. I'm with you and I've got enough power for you today. Lord, I want to do what you've called me to do. It's the most important prayer you could pray in the morning. It's the overcoming prayer. Wake up in the morning, look in the mirror. I've got enough of his presence and I've got enough of his power to do what he's called me to do every morning. Just say it to yourself in the mirror. I've got enough of his presence and his power to do what he's called me to do. Amen? Then you're not just not anxious. You've replaced anxiety with the peace of God because How could anxiety and power live in the same house? How can anxiety and power dwell in the same being? Either you're powerful or you're anxious. One or the other, what is it? God, you have made me an overcomer, so I'm not worried about what's coming because whatever comes, you will give me the power and the presence. Amen? Come on, stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you this morning. We'll work on the dancing thing next week. Listen, our country is in something, our world is in something that I'm going to be honest with you, nobody knows what's going to happen. I was reading a book last night that was written before the coronavirus. (laughs) It's almost laughable. It was a book about politics. It was written before the coronavirus and it was talking about all these global relationships and all these, these, like all these things that are happening across the globe. And the problem was it came out before the virus. So now the whole thing's useless because who knows now 
Who knows who's going to rise to the top and who's not? Who, who knows what the relationships are? I don't know. But here's what I do know. He's called us that the gospel would go forward. And he said, I'll be with you every step of the way. And I'll give you more power than you think you need. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. So when everybody else is flipping out, we can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Because here's what I know. A church that is freaking out about the future isn't laying hands on the sick. A church that is freaking out about the future isn't casting out demons. A church that is freaking out about the future isn't overcoming. And Jesus showed up the last time to tell the disciples, don't worry about the future. I got it. Don't worry about that. I got it. I'm going to ascend, but I need to let you know I got it. It's got the whole world in his hands. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, your promise to us gives us confidence, gives us assuredness this morning that that everything is going to be not just okay, but better than okay. We do believe the best is yet to come. We do believe that your power, your gospel is going to spread throughout the whole earth. We do believe that you're coming. We do believe that there's an eternal hope. We do believe that you went and prepared a place for us. We do believe that our future is secure. But Lord, as much as we don't know what's going on, we do know this, that you put a great calling on our church, that you put a a great calling on everyone in this room. You put a great calling on us to do that thing you put on us to do. And so we're going to wake up tomorrow with that confidence that that reason you grabbed hold of us. Lord, you promised us your presence and you promised us your power. And so we're going to wake up tomorrow morning acting like we have both of them. Acting like we have both of them, Lord. And so we will press on. Even if the future is unsure, we will press on. Even if the future looks dim, we will press on. Even if the future looks fearful, we will press on because you are with us. We will press on because your power is in us. We will press on because... You've called us to, Lord. We thank you for it. I pray your blessing and power over these people today. Let the church arise tomorrow morning, Lord. And let us exhibit that power you put in us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Come on, give him praise one more time for his goodness.